My name is Gary Walker, I'm Music Director of Opera North, and it's my great pleasure to have a little chat now with David Greed, who has been with the orchestra for the most astonishing 44 years. I don't wish to date uh, David, but I, uh, 44 years is a very large proportion of my life. Let's just say that. It's very, very unusual for somebody to remain in, in a position like this for so long and to do it with such excellence. And I mean, I've heard David playing a lot recently, and uh, the standard of Davis playing remains astonishingly high, and he's been a fantastic colleague to work with. So well, I'm very sad, personally, that he's uh, going, but um, 44 years is a, is a good innings, shall we say. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been 44 years, but you must have seen a huge number of changes in, in that time. I mean, maybe you just talk us through some of those changes or how it was at the beginning. Yeah, sure. If well, I'll try and remember as much as I can. Funnily enough, I remember the first say three to four years very vividly and there's a huge chunk of about 20 years in the middle when I guess I was just trying to get on with it you know but those first years were unbelievably exciting if you can imagine this today a new company was formed a new orchestra was formed and that's unheard of now of course but it was really exciting and and most of us didn't really know what we were coming into and as the months drew on we started to do these amazing opera performances nobody knew a note of any of the operas the wonderful David Lloyd-Jones who really pretty much single-handedly created the company was such a force in those days I mean we used to do 12 productions in a year Uh, now some of those would be repeated like in the summer maybe after the autumn but it was an amazing workload and then alongside all of that emerged a concert life for the orchestra and we started to do concerts and it was all really really amazing and exciting and all the while the nation was gripped by it I guess and thought well this isn't going to survive is it (laughs) you know and um So those first months and couple of years were all about just discovering the company and whether indeed it would have any longevity. And of course it has. It's been fantastic. And the the 44-year thing is, obviously it's quite accidental. (laughs) Just started to try and learn the job. I did find that really, really hard. I I honestly didn't know what a leader did or does. Mm -hmm. And it took me years to kind of slowly gather knowledge about it. And it's more, it's it's certainly about playing. And I suppose, if anything, I'm trying harder to play well than I ever have. You know, looking at the end, (laughs) trying to stay well. And But I think that the fact that you've challenged yourself like that, I would say one of the things of my experience of of learning is it doesn't necessarily get easier, you know. No. Uh, One kind of assumes after a while that perhaps conducting you are more experienced or whatever, but in some ways I I just feel I see more of the problems. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's it's funny you using those words. It never gets easier. Those are the exact words said to me by a very wise violinist and leader of the Philharmonia, I think, at the time, Carl Pini. He literally said to me, after they'd offered me the job, (laughs) 
in uh, in the summer of 1978 he said you know this job doesn't get any easier don't you <laughs> so, well yeah. I didn't yeah. know what he I had no idea what he was what he meant really but it's true and practicing the violin and staying fit as an instrumentalist and you know this because you're a cello player it's really true it doesn't get any easier but it gets I, I think it gets a little bit more rewarding the longer you go at it and yeah. certainly coming off the back of this Shostakovich concerto that I've just been doing I honestly can say I've never worked harder in my entire life you've got to safeguard things when you're getting quite a bit older and um, so I practiced it until I almost couldn't play it wrong and and, and it paid off I, I, you know I was yeah. quite pleased no, no, with it no, no, yeah. yeah I mean how was it that you actually came to get the job because I mean for people who don't understand once an orchestra is already formed the process of inviting people in go through a series of additions and panels and trial work and things of like this. Now, when you're starting an orchestra from scratch, yeah. as you pointed out, it's it's a sort of thing that's hard to imagine now. But the idea of forming a new ensemble. I mean, you were a founder member, weren't you? Yeah. So you were in from the first rehearsal, is that right? In from the first rehearsal, but actually one of the last people to be appointed. Right. So that's all really bizarre. I think there was a heck of a lot of blind faith, I suppose, on the part of David Lloyd-Jones, who I just mentioned, and Ian Killick, our first orchestral administrator. So for me personally, my dear teacher from the Royal College of Music days, John Ludlow, mm -hmm. pointed out this thing to me in the paper. You know, the Saturday Telegraph was the thing, wasn't it? There wasn't any musical chairs website yep. or anything. So he said, look, there's this orchestra starting in Leeds. Have you thought of applying? And I said, oh, yeah, I'll do that. And he said, no, have you thought of applying for leader? And I said, well, no, John, I have not. But I did it, and I did two very gruelling auditions. And by the end of July of 78, I was appointed. But as I say, one of the very last, so I had very little to do with any other appointments in the orchestra. Mm -hmm. And the same was true of, of everybody. There were, there were no trials. It was just, let's get these guys together and see what happens. So on the back of, of an audition process, basically. Yes. I mean, the orchestra was stuffed full of 22-year-olds mm. like me, but there was a sort of a, a, a slightly smaller, harder core of more experienced players. Uh, so it was a really strange mix. And in fact, within a few years or so, the, the hardcore of more experienced players, I'm not going to say they were driven out by annoying youthfulness and all that stuff but, but but as it happens they stayed two or three years and then they left i've got to mention one particular bloke his name was reginald stead and he was the leader of the bbc northern symphony orchestra as it was called then bbc philharmonic now and he was a man of immense reputation and he was sitting i got there and discovered he was sitting number three behind me well, you can imagine how I felt. I mean, like this yeah. baby leading the orchestra. He was fantastic. He was gracious, wise, very cordial. And for that brief six months, he literally taught me everything I knew to that date about leading an orchestra. And that I will never forget because it was a real lifeline. As I said to you, I, I had a clue what to do. The first two or three years were so intense that I think... The group as a whole developed very, very speedily and quickly and 
frustrations, yes, but really amazing music making for an orchestra <laughs> that was literally two or three years old. Well, it's difficult for an orchestra, to sort of, uh, you know, doesn't have a sort of DNA or whatever, a sort of back history of how we play. So, of course, in some ways that makes it a little unstable mm. initially, but it does allow you to, to make big decisions as to how it is that you're going to go forward. Yeah. Well, what was it this gentleman, Reginald Steve? Can you remember what it was that he actually taught you? Can you remember? I mean, even if it was, a, if it was just a, you know, an aphorism or a, or a statement or something that made you think about how you led or... Well, I can remember a couple of phrases. The week before he left, he said to me, you're doing a good job. Always be firm, but always be polite. And now that goes a hell of a long way on its yeah. own. In those days, I was scared to even turn around and say, excuse me, sir, could we do an up, <laughs> an up bow here or something like that? If he just said something like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do that. That went so far for me. Mm -hmm. I think I've become quite good at listening to other things going on in the orchestra, but I don't think I was all that good back in those days. And he would say to me, should we, should we? You know, that's the, not you must, but should we listen out for the clarinet there or, yeah. as we play yeah. this phrase? And generally how to conduct yourself, how to actually stand up at the beginning of every rehearsal and tune up can we have an eight please mm -hmm. didn't even really know how to do that to be honest but mm -hmm. um, he talked to me about that to mm -hmm. stand up say what you need to say don't apologize don't mess around just yeah. you know firm polite mm -hmm. goes a long way it's come a long way with me I mean, over these 44 years, it's probably an easier question to ask, what operas have you not done? Because I mean, in that time, you must have covered almost everything that's never been written. I mean, are there pieces that you have you feel you've missed out on doing, uh, things that you would have liked to have done? Or I think if you'd asked me six years ago, I would have said, well, it's a shame I haven't done The Ring, which I've now done. Parsifal certainly is my last big target, and that's great. So a lot, not every piece of Wagner, but almost every piece of Wagner, I think. Most of the Strauss... Richard Strauss mm -hmm. have done. I know you asked me what haven't I done. I'm trying to remember. Um, there is all of Janacek. Sort of, all of Janacek, okay, yes. So there's nothing that springs out as, as being a, a frustration. Or never no, not, not really. I mean, yeah. some of the great pearls that I've enjoyed most are now quite a long way in the past. Things like uh, Onyegin of Tchaikovsky. Mm -hmm. All the Puccinis, of course, have mm -hmm. pretty sure I've done. Mm -hmm. And all of the lovely Mozarts. Well, no, yeah. not all, because I know there are loads of very early operas that nobody ever hears, but, um, you know, the big ones yeah, uh, yeah. love Mozart. I mean, that must be very satisfying to have that, and also to revisit, I mean, a number of them. I'm sure you've revisited many times. I mean, God knows how many times you've played Carmen or, or Bohème. I mean, it must must go back quite, quite a distance. I mean, oh, my is, God. What, what interests me is that long-term relationship with the piece, so I'm not a young conductor anymore, but I'm still coming back to pieces sometimes only for a second or third time. Mm. And um, I find that the experience the second time is a totally different one from the first because you've lived it uh, in, in the past and, and somehow you start afresh, but with a totally different sort of background. Uh, yes. You must have found something similar. Yes. Well, I can say straight away, and this I'm going to give you a little compliment. You're going to have to block your ears off, but... 
I, you know, I did not think that I'd have spent my last year at Opera North, apart from Parsifal here, playing Carmen. <laughs> and when it came, I thought, well, you know, it's been a few years. Opera North, bless it, has not had the greatest relationship with Carmen because of interminable production difficulties, I think. And then musically, well, I've, I'm thinking, OK, this is quite long. There's a lot of dialogue. My mm. God. Anyway, this year we did it with you. And it was shorter. It was energised. A lot of the dialogue had gone. Almost yes. all of the music was still there. And I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, it was great. I thought the orchestra played it as if it was their favourite piece. And I thought, God, I'm so surprised. And then we did it again with your uh, your colleague, Anthony. Okay. Actually, Anthony was sick, so Tony Krauss did quite a few of the performances. And so we, I've got, I've had three different things about Carmen thrown at me, and it's been, it's been a joy. So Carmen was a surprising one. I think probably I could get lost in some of the Donizetti Bellini stuff. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, but everything else, I mean, it's it's a bit like this, Gary. I mean, when I was really, really young, and I'd go up to someone of great experience and say, you know, who's your favorite composer? And they'd come back with Mozart, and I'd go, Oh, that's a bit, that's a bit boring. But I know exactly what they mean now. Mm. I think the Mozarts just sum up the ultimate expression for me, and and, and in such a simple way. Yeah. Such yeah. a simple well, it's, way. And it's that extraordinary sort of detail to the drama and the ability to find the right music at any any turn, you know, yeah. and yeah. to invest it with such care as well. I mean, you think of Barbarina's aria at the beginning of Act Four of Figaro, yes. that's that F minor. Yes. One, you know, it's almost too good for, for somebody looking for a pin, you know. Yes. Um, um, and the thing I find throughout the Mozart operas is that, that sort of what Verdi would call that a tincta, that sort of colour. You know, night music, for, for example, is often in these kind of flat, dark keys. So it's almost like he lights the stage with the music. Mm. Uh, you, you couldn't do that, Barbarina Aria, with a, with a bright stage. You just couldn't because the no. music is so you know yes it's the way that it's so simple i mean the countess's aria in act three is one of the most beautiful things you can imagine and yet mozart uses what is it as well a smallish string section yep. a solo oboe and bassoon yeah that's just about it isn't it and, and that more and more i find that extraordinary Maybe people would like to know well i would be i'm very interested to know well how do you see the role of a leader, because I remember somebody in management in a different orchestra once said to me, it's like a shop steward. Oh, God. <laughs> um, and I remember thinking, it's a lot more than that. Um, but how do, you, how do you see your role? And what are the difficulties of that? The role for me is partly an extension of what the conductor's up to. 
great bit of advice I once got from another leader uh, of a London orchestra many years ago was, don't move around too much. Mm-hmm. If you move around too much, people eventually people will ignore you. Mm-hmm. And also you will conflict with possibly with what the conductor's doing. So yeah. people have got two sources of yeah. physical persuasion. That's hopeless. And I, I'm totally... I'm totally in that camp. Mm-hmm. You've got to try and play well. You've got to learn every note. That's why I keep falling short in these Wagner operas. Think, right, this time I'm going to be able to play every single note before the first rehearsal. And, of course, it <laughs> never happens. I think I've learned to accept that you can only be as prepared as you can be as opposed to as prepared as you would ideally wish to be. Yes. Because literally you could tinker and tinker with a score for 40 years and still not know it yes um but uh, you know a friend of mine who climbed Diager said uh, I, sa- I said are you ready and he said I'm nearly ready and he was that meant that he was ready to climb it <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> um, amazing. you're never going to be I, I, I do admire somebody looking at a complete score I mean I I do a little bit of conducting myself you do you know? <laughs> yeah but I've always likened conducting to like playing squash it's very easy to a certain level and then it becomes impossible, as far as I can see. <laughs> so um, I, I just admire it. And, and obviously, you want to see a conductor do well, because it, it literally feeds into the orchestra. And yeah. So that's another reason I don't understand the barriers that get thrown up sometimes. Well, okay. I mean, I'm sure you'll know this. It's just sometimes there is a lack of chemistry between whoever it is and, and the orchestra. I mean, it can be, it can be almost an instantaneous thing, that. Mm. Uh, or indeed it can be that the orchestra itself has problems. I mean, I often think when I stand up in front of an orchestra before I work with them for the first time, I look around and engage with people. You can often tell a lot about how it's going to be before you start by whether people are smiling and hello or whether there's a deliberate attempt to look away. That's yeah. (laughs) Um, The rest of it, I reckon, is learning to interact well with everybody, with players, yeah. in a group or, or personally? It's psychology as well. Yes, it Part is management psychology. Is, yeah, yeah. I'd be inclined to want to ask you a bit about this stuff because I think that's a very important thing for a conductor as well. It's not just providing the right number of beats in the bar, obviously, but persuading people yeah. to join you, maybe. Yeah. Maybe that's a way of putting it. Well, I think... Yeah, I mean, it's about good people management, certainly. And it's about, well, I mean, in some ways, it's what you said already, is being firm but polite mm. and the use of conditionals. You know, we, we tend to use conditionals a lot in English, would, should, all this sort of thing, you know, yes. could we? And yes. then when somebody says very directly, bar five, too loud. Yes. It can seem a bit abrasive. Now, some, some orchestras actually take it. They like the absolute directness of that. Mm. And I think if they feel that it's being said seriously but not unpleasantly, then they'll take it. Yes, I absolutely uh, agree, yeah. But, you know, I often start sentences, you know, could we try it? Could we yeah. try playing that a bit softer as opposed to that's too loud? Yes, of you know, course. Um, yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't cost anything to do that, I don't think. It, it doesn't. It does take a skill in learning the language if you, if you don't speak it as a native speaker. Hmm. But and I, I know this is something I'm, I'm sure that you, you also do is to try and to be a sort of um, facilitator, if you like, rather yeah. than a sort of dictator. Well, that, that's too strong a, a thing. But, you know, there are ways you can get people to actually do what you want without them even 
Yeah, no. Uh, you, they don't see you manipulating the situation because you're doing it honestly and you're doing it the way that is yes. positive. Well. Yes, I agree. To continue the mutual admiration business, let's talk about fixing intonation, particularly in the wind. And I say that because it's a different problem in the wind than in the strings. Of course, but, but your voice. technique of, let's say, could we just do this? Could we just tune this chord? And you will literally just point the in the best way possible, actually. Up, down, up, down. That's fine. Great. Thank you. It's just doing the business and being polite. But as you say, being, you know, you can't be much firmer than say, go up, go down. Yep. But everyone yep. takes yep. it. It's never ever a problem to do that sort of thing. And I, you know, I've always strived to do that, to yeah. try and put people at ease, make people feel they can come to me with a problem and it's safe mm. sometimes that's tricky because people like to let off steam i can understand mm. that very very well but unfortunately it can be sometimes it can be at like 7 25 in the evening mm. and you get shouted at quite a lot and then mm. and you don't take it personally but it's it's always had an effect on me bio yeah. biologically. And then you've, yeah. let's yeah. say you've got to sit down and play um, the beginning mm. of Traviata with slow bows. And so I, it's never come easy to me, but I feel that I've always had a, an idea of the person I'd like to try and be. It sounds horribly vague, but um, I could never say, oi, you, I could never ever, and it wouldn't work anyway. So yeah. Yeah. I learned from people like you, to be honest, because there's a lot of time to sit there. And your predecessor, Richard, was also excellent at, yeah. you know, um, just being in the right mood all the time. One thing that I've found wonderful about working with you, and I know a lot of my colleagues um, have expressed exactly the same sentiment, is that you always made it an unintimidating place to come and work, in that you were always friendly and positive and supportive. And that's sadly it's not always the case you know right. some orchestras and some leaders will actually put up a you know they'll put up a barrier because it depends on the, on the character of the of the conductor but you know i never go into any situation feeling completely comfortable with it you know i don't feel i have some god-given right to stand in front of an orchestra in fact it's it's a constant struggle with for me to to justify whatever it is within myself that feels that I can do this. And I mean, basically, I, I've never really been able to reassure myself of why I do this, other than I think that music is a good thing to do, and I love the music. Yes. And that's really the only reason I continue to do it. Yes. But if you go in and you're not some sort of, sort of hard-nosed sort of um, brute, you know, it can be a very intimidating atmosphere standing in front of an orchestra. You've got 54, 60, 70, whatever, however many people sitting there. And sadly, groups do behave in a way that they don't individually. I see that when I go and see a football match. I mean, I used to sit beside a guy at uh, here in Edinburgh at the Hearts Ground who used to shout and swear and everything, you know. He's the most mild-mannered guy on a one-to-one <laughs> -one basis. But in a crowd, but people do, you know, and it's up to, to the leaders of that group such as yourself and various other key key members to set the atmosphere in a way that's not intimidating and then of course you get the best out of a conductor if you sort of put up barriers and whatever then effectively you are preventing the conductor from from being as yeah free as they would wish to be yes i'm glad you said that because it's always 
seemed self-defeating to me to be, let's say, part, uh, sitting in another orchestra and they are simply putting up this huge barrier between themselves and the conductor. So they'll end up playing the concert their way, probably, and no one will have a particularly great time. Mm. And I can imagine that, that to be very frustrating. So, yes, I think you do. I may have done it accidentally, but, you know, humour is important to me. And I've, for about 40 years, I had a desk partner and we shared a lot of jokes. And mm. probably we were rather too distracting at times, but we used to really take the mickey out of each other terribly. And, and it was all so... And he felt he could do that with me as well as his number one. So I think it is great being something different from the norm, let's say, and being more, more receptive rather than mm -hmm. less. Mm -hmm. and, I, and of course it makes a difference to the music. I, I imagine that the, being a conductor is can be quite solitary and if and if the only feedback a conductor's going to get is this glass wall in front of him or her it can't be great it's well it's not no i wouldn't it's certainly not much fun no. I, I remember <laughs> i remember where we did uh, orkney uh, wedding and or sun, oh. orkney sunrise and wedding yeah. i can never remember which order it's because <laughs> most orkney weddings go through the day and through the night anyway so it doesn't really matter um <laughs> But uh, <laughs> I remember these solos, the front desk solos, and we rehearsed it, and you played it very well, but kind of slightly straight, you know, yeah. uh, because there's supposed to be a drunken fiddler. And I, I think I said to you, sort of, um, you know, you can ham it up. <laughs> and everybody in the front desk said, oh, don't, don't worry, wait to see what he does. <laughs> and then in concert, it was fun. Fantastic, the pair of you at the front desk, it was so funny, kind of sparking off each other. And my father, my father was at the concert. He said he hadn't laughed so much in the concert in years, he said. And it was, it was, it was beautifully done. It wasn't too much. Don't no, no, it okay. Too, it was just... Oh, that's lovely. Perfectly, and spon kind of spontaneously done, it was... Yeah, that's great. Very happy to oblige. <laughs> very. I very may good. have had a couple of pints before the concert, yeah. of course. <laughs> Yes, well, a couple of pints of whiskey often resolve any of these issues, but... Um... I wonder if I could ask you a question. I remember Billy Budd as being a real highlight. Probably did it many years ago, but more recently with you, I think. Mm -hmm. And we went, in fact, we, we went to Oldborough with it, didn't we? That um, was an extraordinary experience. It was Oldborough. wonderful. I, I don't think I'd actually ever played in, in the Maltings before, but it, it was... The whole thing was just... Amazing. It was, it, it was a very happy project. Um, yeah. it, it's curious with Britain because the operas in some ways are all slightly unhealthy and slightly claustrophobic. That is one of their qualities, is a sort of sense of isolation somehow um, and about individuals isolated from the communities, whether it's Peter Grimes or Billy Budd. Well, Billy Budd is, of course, he's, he's sort of beating heart of the of the company, but Claggart is the outsider in that case, you know. And then, of course, you have things like Turn of the Screw, which, again, is set in a country house in the middle of nowhere, and the governess is not a mother, she's a governess, and, you know, all these sort of things. But Billy Budd, it's one of those projects that, you know, could, could go wrong, a lot of men in the room, only men, and yet it was such a joy. And, and somehow the, the, the military character of it, I, I never felt, I never felt when I'd done an opera before as close to the chorus as I did having left doing Billy Budd. Because it did feel like we'd all been in this 
struggle together because they all play the role of sailors yes. in the navy. Yeah, but it was an extraordinary. It was yeah, and I mean again, you were you were instrumental in helping me through that piece. Was, I mean, it's such a huge commitment to to do. You know, it was yeah. my first big Britain opera. Yeah, Roddy Williams was was Bud. Yes, uh, Veer was um, Alan Oak. Yes, oh, Alan Oak and um, our Claggett. We had two Claggetts. We had Brindley and Alistair Miles. Yes, Brindley, Brindley yes. and the production I remember was Claggett. Played by John Tomlinson, oh, and he wow. he shaved his beard, which was remarkable. God, he looked so evil. I mean, it was unbelievable. It's funny in a in a strange twist of fate. I'm now playing in a string quartet with a dear colleague called Jen Langridge. Oh yeah, of course, yes. And she's the daughter of, I guess, the guy who succeeded Peter Pears in all these roles. Um, Philip Langridge, Philip, yeah. and I, I, I just always that voice of Philip Langridge is it's, it's a, such a fabulous, fabulous tenor, yeah, a fabulous musician as well. I mean, all the Yanochek stuff that I've seen him doing as well. I mean, he, he's he's the tenor in Yanochek, um, my favorite performance of that, and it's just astonishing. I mean, rhythmic. I mean, just a great musician. Just yeah. a great musician. I've got a recording of him singing nursery. Oh right? God, I was just—I was just going to mention that. <laughs> ah, uh, brilliant! And it's so beautifully sung with it such is. character and charm. Yeah. And quality, they're amazing. You know. Jen gave me a copy of that for for the grandchildren. Lovely. That's a, that's another new compartment of my life, obviously. Lovely. So yeah. Uh, yes, indeed, indeed, indeed. Yeah. I mean, it was just a great. That was a great bunch of of people in that bud thing. It just clicked. Yes. And it was wonderful. It I mean, was it's such an incredible piece. Yes. back to your leader's question what the hell does he mm. or she do i think what i wanted to say was that it's largely what you make of it as well on top yes. of all of that stuff yes so you could be you could be in league with the management you could assist the management or you could have nothing to do with the management and i think i've tried to go for the middle ground there and it's and i find it very difficult i've always found that very difficult because you can become very conflicted um yes and I guess, if I'm going to be honest, I'm not going to miss that part of the job at all. Mm. I'll, I'll mm. miss the people. I'll miss physically playing in an orchestra because, mm. you know, there's, there's the concert work that I'll, mi I'll be missing mm. as well. But um, no, it's just, so, just something else that came to mind about other leaders, other distinguished colleagues of mine who actually just turn up and play. And that's yeah. completely valid, I think. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think it depends very much on the character of, of the of the, the person involved. I mean, there's some people who, 
probably become very stressed at dealing with management issues and I don't really mm. want part of that, you know. Yeah, 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 but I mean, certainly, certainly I, I found that you've been very helpful in, I, I mean, just to, to, to give you an example, when we were doing Bud, there was always that concern about noise and volume. Yes. Um, because it's a it's a big piece and unfortunately we always play in reasonably small pits I mean the only yes. place that we played in that was really big enough for it yes. was Manchester and of course Edinburgh oh yeah um, sure. so we always had those concerns and you know there, there were some concerns expressed quite rightly about volume yes. and I remember you coming to me and saying you know this is a little bit of an issue and can we sort of deal with it so, and we and we did but you kind of helped mm. just gather everybody t- together and we discussed how we could uh, um Kind of resolve it and mm. we did you know yeah that was good because noise issues have become incredibly sensitive haven't they i mean in every sense of the word yeah. especially yeah. in the orchestral pit the opera pit the problem is that inability for the sound to to, to go anywhere yeah. i mean actually talking about i mean parsifal of course is a huge orchestra but you're on you're on stage aren't you yeah Bruce? yeah we're out in the open which is glorious for us really I wanted to to talk about one of the thing which was, what advice would you have for the company going forward? I mean, the company's now the same age as, as your your service, forty four years, mm-hmm. and it's you know as you've acknowledged, it's, it's become quite different. I, mean, I remember when I first started to attend rehearsals, not work with you, but attend rehearsals with Opera North. You were siloed out to, to a whole series of places, gym halls of schools and mm. um, civic halls and things like this. I mean, now we have a dedicated building with a de- dedicated rehearsal space. It's a big mm. space and we have that kind of presence in the centre of Leeds. But what would you, I mean, how would you like to see the company say in another 44 years? Um, I mean, you're right about the new Howard Opera Centre. In fact, I'm sitting in it right now and it's great. It's fantastic. The studio upstairs is good. A little bit on the dry side, but I guess things can be tweaked about that. So we're in good shape, rehearsal-wise. Of course, if you pop over the road to the theatre and behind the pit areas and the dressing rooms for the singers, it's still a bit in the old Victorian age, of course. And I understand that the company can do very little about that. We need to keep looking after the core performers. That's what I think and make sure that they are well looked after. It's the main theatre performances that are, I think, if I'm right, the sharp end of what the company does. And we've got to look after our performers. That, well, that's all I would say, really. It's a, it's a huge amount of investment that goes into those uh, those performances. It's a huge yes. amount of time, yes. a huge amount of care that goes into the, those performances. And of course, yeah. those are the things that, that actively tour around the north of England. Um, so I, I, I agree with you. I think, yeah. um, you know, that's... Um, and I also, I, I'm, I'm a real believer in a kind of a team ethos and that you get a better result when you have a settled team. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the things that the orchestra that we're seeking to resolve at the moment is because there's been quite a turnover recently of people retiring and people like mm-hmm. yourself, people who, who, you know, we were very blessed to have with us for for. 40 odd years. I mean, there are lots of people who stayed with the company the whole time, which mm. I, think, I think is a positive thing. I mean, I think if people didn't enjoy their jobs and they didn't think the company was worth fighting for and, and working with, then they would have, they could easily have gone as well. 
Yeah. So it's that longevity is something that I think we should yeah. cherish. But I mean, we are now in a transitional phase, so getting that balanced team and a settled team. But it always worries me that people think, well, you could just have freelancers or whatever. It's a totally <laughs> different dynamic. Yes, yeah, it is. Um, yeah. But I mean, you just would never think of it with a football team. <laughs> you know, the idea of, of just bringing in different people to serve different roles yes. on one-off basis and then again, you know. Yeah. That is what Leeds United have been doing, though, of course. <laughs> um, well, no, no, but I, I should add to all of that. I mean, that sounded a little bit like a moan. It wasn't at all. I mean, we do still exist, Opera North, which after the last two and a half years, three years, the company has been remarkable in keeping it level and afloat. I'll, a lot of people have worked extremely hard uh, mm. to to protect the, the company. It's been, you know, I mean, obviously a complete lockdown. Yeah. Um, the consequences for that in terms of box office, and to, uh, in terms of planning, that's yeah. th that's the worst thing because certainly uh, opera takes more planning than the concerts. Actually, you look at it, you're putting on a concert series. It's actually a relatively straightforward thing to do. Yeah. But with opera, you have so many more variables, whether it's the stage time, the tech time, the design time. And of course, you know, the, the costs of those will all shift if the planning is not in place. Yeah. I remember one plan for 21, 22, or, or maybe 2021. I can't remember. I think we were up to version... T or S or something like this, which gives okay. you an because, because it just kept on changing. You know, there was a hope initially that we might get back sooner, yeah. and then there was a huge uncertainty. And then, of course, you have things like the Alpha variant and Kent variant and all this business. You know, it starts. What a man! What a nightmare! It, it really was. It was a uh, yeah. Yeah. But we've come through it. We've come through it, and I think we're yes. in a reasonably strong position. But I think the future will also be yeah will also be challenging. And and for me, I mean, I'm 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 so grateful that I was given a year's extension, basically, because effectively well, it, I've I've given three, almost three and a half years notice. <laughs> As it turns out, that was going to be two years, but I, you know, I did ask for a year's extension in the hope that I'd get to do another season of yeah. big stuff, basically, yeah. Carmen, yeah. and yeah. of course this Parsifal, which is yeah. well, it's a bit of a dream, isn't it, to go out with. Parsifal at the Festival Hall, you know. Well, it's it's, it's a great. fantastic cast, and I mean, I know the yeah. orchestra will play its socks off for it, and Richard, of yeah. course, Richard Barnes is yeah. leading it, and and I presume I presume it's going very well. So, I mean, oh so yeah, far, it's, going, so, it's going very yeah. well. A very different experience, isn't it, from music oh, yeah. from the ring cycle? But yeah, it gets under your skin after a short time, I think, and you know, you get pulled into and soaked up by the the sound world that he creates. Again, I mean, I, I find that one of the most remarkable things, certainly, about Wagner's sound. I mean, it's such a revolutionary character in the evolution of music, yes. and particularly music theatre. Well, I mean, opera, you know. The only thing I've always slightly tempers my enthusiasm is I had a long conversation with my father-in-law, this, this legal professor, who absolutely hated Wagner. And the thing he hated the most was libretti, he said, which were absolutely appalling he said <laughs> terrible german terrible setting of it and everything. he couldn't be more damning about it mm. uh, so so i'm not a native german speaker but my german is is reasonable i don't notice these imperfections i have to admit but no. i have to admit i'm always slightly <laughs> the reputation of wagner is always slightly tarnished by my father-in-law <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> he said, but, yeah, um, well, his reputation is is quite sinister amongst, well, definitely amongst string players. It's literally like this guy is trying to make life as difficult for us yeah. as possible. Yeah. What a bugger. Anyway, it's all worth it in the end because, you know, yeah, once, once you get out of your own blooming violin part, you can hear and see everything. It's amazing. Did you ever amazing do Trist- Tristan? Have they? Have yes. Opera? Yes, yes. But yeah, not, we did it not... with uh, Stephen Sloan. Okay, he did it. Oh, okay. uh, it was one of our very first efforts on concert platform. Okay. It was great. It was a great sort of landmark as one of the first Opera North efforts to do an opera in that way. Mm-hmm. Really good, actually. Well, certainly, certainly we've excelled at it. And of course, Bud, Billy Bud, when it went to Obra, was in that sort of semi stage yeah, way. Exactly, but I mean, exactly. it, it didn't really didn't lose any of the trauma somehow. It, it's, no. It's, there was something about the brick walls in that place as well that were just perfect <laughs> for the production. I, I remember that the. That that moment at the beginning of Act Two, this is the moment we've all been waiting for. You know, there was the chorus and the drums. The resonance of that of Snape Maltings, if you've ever been there, then it's, you know it's quite a sort of ringing space. But it doesn't feel like a bathtub. It's not like a not like a church. Not like you know St Paul's or whatever. I remember conducting that in the first rehearsal. One of the few times that I actually stepped out of the music. I try not to do that when I'm conducting, but sort of going. Oh my God! Yeah. You know, this sound, this kind of you know, there's something you don't get in a dry theatre. You know that kind of resonance. Yeah, no. The the reaction to that bud was as close as I've ever been to a rock concert sort of reaction. I mean, the, the end. If you remember, just everybody was shouting, and it ends very quietly. The piece. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. But it just that was a, a landmark performance in my mind. In fact, I remember now. Richard Mantle, our, our general director, said to me, "What do you think about this?" Um, Gary Walker bloke for music director and I simply said to him well were you at Billy Budd in Holborough uh, I mean you know it was just one of those just one of those evenings mate Brilliant. I mean I have to admit the Marla 2 we did this year as well was also something very special oh, it was yeah. very sad sad that you yes you, you weren't I mean quite quite rightly you're, you've been allowing opportunities for us to bring in other people and that yes. just happened to be happened to be one of them but yeah, that was yeah. a well, that's a very special piece. Oh yeah, I could hear it from where I was in Manchester. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's that's right. You were working at uh, the orchestra played. Yeah, the orchestra and the chorus. The chorus. We had the, the mixed choruses from the Leeds area, which is yeah. great. Yeah, but to have our chorus in the in the middle of that, just adding that kind of power and, and yeah. but never to be forgotten. You know, our slogan for Opera North is uh, extraordinary experiences every day. Mm, it's yes. not easy to do that every day. No, no, but, exactly, no. You know, to provide those extraordinary experiences. And you've been, you know, such a part of that for, for so long, David. I mean, really, well, it's um, the extraordinary, extraordinary it's, yeah. level of service and extraordinary 
that you've maintained those standards and that excellence over the years. I mean, that's that's it's very unusual, that dear listener. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, right time, right place for me. I mean, all the way along, really, being at the right college. The last thing, maybe I'm gonna one of my the things I'll miss the most is this collaboration between you and Anthony. I can see mm. this going a long way, and and you know, you you don't often see two conductors working in tandem and, I, and I, my feeling is that you both work in tandem I really love Anthony I have to admit I find him very approachable he's hugely supportive and he's um, he's a good colleague always treats me with the greatest respect yeah I hope he feels that's reciprocated I'm certainly sure. say here quite categorically that it's very much reciprocated yeah and uh, it's very good to have his point of view and his experience I often go to him with advice and then he comes to me with yeah. some suggestions and it's good because i mean conductors we are ships in the night you know yeah yeah exactly. and i mean uh you know the, i met some wonderful conducting colleagues and i've also met people who i <laughs> would wish to steer steer away from um but <laughs> anthony's definitely uh yeah i mean it's, it's great and i hope he'll i mean he's he's very very busy but i hope he'll, he'll certainly stay and I would would encourage that. So yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's a nice nice partnership. I hope it we... goes. I can see it going a long way. I really hope it does for, for this yeah. for for this company, Opera North. Yeah, yeah. I think it's very lovely. Important. You've yeah. probably got to go back to auditions, haven't you? you I have got to go back to <laughs> I'm, I'm five minutes over, but well, there's, I, I'm very happy, and I just want to stay. You know, want to get on the record? Just a huge thank you for all you've done, David. Wow. Really, it's meant most sincerely. I wish you a long, healthy. Happy retirement. Thank you. Enjoy the grandkids. Get back to a bit of golf. Yeah. I'll give you a damn good thrashing some point. You, Um, I bet you would too. (laughs) Hey, I bought an e-bike, by the way. Oh, very good. Good.